Good, Eric. You got me? Church rules. Turn the mic on. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know about Bishop, but I do prefer my queen and rook playing chess. And I don't have my doctorate, but I'll expect that in the mail, Kimberly, wherever you're at. Thank you for that promotion. I want to pose a question to you guys. Who is your neighbor? Call it out, please. We're going to do this like classroom style. Because you guys know I'm not a doctor, but, you know, a teacher or administrator. Jeremiah, who's your neighbor? Oh, man. He forgot. Who's our neighbor? Niece. And my niece. Forgive my chicken scratch. I'm going to write this quick. Everyone. Man, you guys are quiet. You should be up by now. We're almost done with church, Jim. That'd be like everyone then, right? Okay. Change color here. Elias. Jet. Like it over here. I heard someone. Family. My son, teachers, police, atheist, you got one this time, Jeremiah, you're messing with me again, Dennis, that's his friend who's a neighbor, like next door, Soul. Your baby brother. Brandon. Mr. Rogers. Will you be my neighbor? I love it. Thank you. It's a foreshadow for my sermon today. All right. Well, let's get into it. As you guys know, we talked about 90 Days of Jesus and this Family Worship Sunday. Oh, you want you got one too? All right, last one. Doctors. Yeah. Apparently, I'm a doctor today. Thank you. Um, Parable of the Good Samaritan. We're talking about the 90 days of Jesus. For some of you guys who have not been to our church before, we're reading through it. We're on like day 54. We're on Luke 10. And so I selected the, the passage of the Parable of the Good Samaritan. So it is up on the PowerPoint here. I don't like reading to you guys, but you can read with me. All right? It's kind of a rule as far as a teacher. You don't make PowerPoint slides and read to everybody, but... That's what we want to do as far as for the verses. So in verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor As yourself, you have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Well, you guys know that now, right? You guys gave me a list here, so we know who we need to love. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. 
They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the half-dead man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. When he came to the place and saw the half-dead man, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. A couple of weeks ago, we had Pastor Dennis here as a guest speaker on Super Bowl Sunday um, from the EC3 church. And he mentioned something about having to read, and he would rather watch movies. Um, I'm the same way. The same thing happened in high school when we do our English book reports. I selected the books, like he said that day, that had a movie to go with them. And I got caught, too, by my teachers. Like, well, next time try reading the book. So, it being Family Worship Sunday, and we have our kids in here with us today, I wanted to kind of make this an illustration, not just reading it to you guys, but a story. And so you can see our children of the church act it out and also narrate it. So if you can please look at the screen as we're going to be studying this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbors as yourself. You have, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. He wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and how and who is my neighbor? Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his cloths, beat him, and went away, leaving half dead. Pouring oil, pouring on oil and wine. 
Then he put the man on his own donkey. Just a disclaimer, no children were hurt in the filming of that movie. (laughs) And just a little side story, I I told the Smiths that they were going to be here today, for those that don't know, uh, Smiths that were in that, the girls were playing the the robbers as well as the Good Samaritan, and Corey was our expert of law. Um, They have left and moved across to the other side of the country, to Virginia, I said, well, you're going to be here today. I said, no, we're not. I said, well, let's back this up, do a Quentin Tarantino style. and let them know as far as doing the skit and the opportunity. So I thank them for helping out, and as well as our Jesus in the back. Father-in-law, thank you, Chip. All right, so we've heard it once. I've read it to you guys. You've seen it. So let's go back, and we're going to break it down by each verse. That's okay with you guys. Verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, as you know, we've been reading and getting to know Jesus through this 90-day um, days with Jesus. And there's been a few times where I've gotten behind, you know, catching up three to four days. And it's like, oh, man, the struggle's real. And I hope that it hasn't been a struggle for you guys being caught up. As we read through Matthew and Mark, as well as Luke, there are several times where the Jewish leaders are testing Jesus, asking him questions, questions about laws and some kind of interpretation, thinking they're going to trap him. Just a few days ago, we read about the Pharisees. They were straight tripping over Jesus and his disciples picking from the fields. They also got upset with him healing a man on the Sabbath. And these experts, they think that they're going to trap our holy God. It's not going to happen. Verse 26, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Through this whole exchange, there's like five questions going back and forth between this expert of law as well as Jesus turning the question and answering him with a question. Well, how do you read it? Jesus turns it back to him and says, well, you're the expert in law. Interpret it for us. So verse 27, he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Luke is similar to Mark 12:28-34 and Matthew 34-40, kind of like what Elsa was talking about earlier, saying, like, oh, we're seeing a similar passages, but made something different. And those were similar. But then is the, the leaders challenging Jesus of all the commandments, which, which is the greatest one. So in this part, Jesus is saying, um, 
as far as answering what the expert says, to love your God with all your mind, soul, strength. This time, in Matthew and Mark, it doesn't share the same parable of the Good Samaritan. The lawyer or the expert of law could have heard Jesus talking to his homies in the previous passage, right? In Matthew and Mark, this guy could have been hearing him. And this time, he uh, is quoting what Jesus has said. So that's a good sign. At least he's listening. He hears Jesus talking to his homies, and now he's regurgitating it back to him. And of all these laws, and this is an expert of law. How many laws are there in the Old Testament? Got a little math equation there for you guys. I want to solve that real quick. I'll give you like five seconds. Yeah, well, we're going to keep going with that. So it is 613. So of the 613 laws that are in the Old Testament, to sum it up into two, that's remarkable. And it makes it easier to remember. I have a hard time remembering the Ten Commandments. Um, this scripture is referenced as far as loving your God in Deuteronomy 6.5. And to love your neighbor is in Leviticus 19.18. Moving on to verse 28. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. We are saved not by our works, but by our faith. Some people can get caught up with this verse. If we think about what Jesus is saying for the two ultimate commandments, we fall short. We are sinful by nature and can't uphold just the two rules. Just like trying to keep him first for this 90 days of challenge, I've been falling behind of it, not keeping him first. My time's being occupied with other things rather than reading the word. And I, you know, I thank Jesus for, my, for dying for my sins because I can't even hold those two simple rules. In the classroom, I had three simple rules. They're like the catchy phrases too, like the little BRs. Be respectful, be responsible, and be ready. And as we talked in the class, you know, we summed it up, how they can be respectful in different aspects of the classroom and on campus. And in the end of the day, I said, well, you know, if we just do all this respect, we won't have any problems. It's all about that. And as I summed it up that way, I'm reading this, this scripture. When I read through this parable, I see Jesus summing it up similarly. If we love God and our neighbor as ourself, it reminds me that we need the same direction that children need. If we love God and everyone at the end of the day, we won't have any problems. Verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Of course, this expert of the law didn't like his own answer. He answered the question. He regurgitated what Jesus said back in Matthew and Mark. But he's now trying to like, get a little trick on Jesus. Like, who's my neighbor then? What is Jesus' definition of neighbor? And then laws can be open for justification and interpretation. So we'll ask the big man, who is my neighbor? But before going there, the Jewish leaders looked at the definition of neighbor as people that they congregate with, that they weren't related to. Their fellow Jew, it could be other Jews that live next door to them. It could be the Jews that they see in a temple on a weekly basis, going to their synagogues. Um, they also had, they looked like them, they spoke like them, the same native tongue, and they had the same beliefs. Who is my neighbor? Is it the guy across the street that I'm still trying to get my tools back from? The neighbor next door that I go borrow a cup of milk when I'm short on a recipe? There's definitely different definitions of neighbor. So let's go to dictionary.com real quick. 
first, uh, they have like five definitions. One, a person who lives near another. Two, a person or thing that is near another. Three, one's fellow human being to be generous toward one less fortunate neighbor. Four, a person who shows kindliness or helpfulness toward his or her fellow humans. To be a neighbor to someone in distress. And five, use it as a term of address, especially as a friendly greeting to a stranger. Tell me, neighbor, which way to town? I like the fourth definition. A person who shows kindliness or helpfulness toward his or her fellow humans. It doesn't say based on creed, race, gender, age, socioeconomic status, proximity, native tongue. It just said fellow human. Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. What about that road from Jerusalem to Jericho? It's 18 miles and an incline in the snow, barefoot. You can see where I'm going with this. No place around between these two towns. There's no Starbucks. There's no Walmarts. It's just straight from Jerusalem to Jericho. So this guy who got robbed, left for half dead, he could die. There's no help. There's no places right near around. So verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. It's funny because it said about a priest traveling by himself. As I said before, people traveling this road would not usually go by themselves. They'd go in groups because this was a dangerous road. And up till this day, there's still robbers on this road when you go from Jerusalem to Jericho. So why is he going by himself? And why did the priest decide to switch to the other side of the street? Commentaries have said that the priest was on his mission to go or return from the temple, and if he touched something dead, he would be considered unclean and would have to go through a lot to make himself clean. The priest couldn't just take some hand sanitizer, wipe it up, and call it a day. No. It says in Numbers, they must purify themselves um, when they touch a human corpse. Whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves with the water on the third day and the seventh day. Then they will be clean. But if they do not purify themselves on the third and seventh days, they will not be clean. If they fail to, fail to purify themselves after touching a human corpse, they defile the Lord's tabernacle. They must be cut off from Israel. Because the water of cleansing has not been sprinkled on them, they are unclean. Their uncleanness remains on them. That's one of the 613 laws that they had to know back in the old days. And we talked about earlier as well. So we've learned from all three books that the Jewish leaders often placed a higher priority on laws and traditions rather than taking care of human decency or loving your neighbor. 32. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Same as a priest. Why is this Levite traveling by himself? And what is the difference between a Levite and a priest? Levites were one of the 12 tribes of Israel that descended from Jacob's son, Levi. And the priests of Israel were a group of qualified men from the tribes of Levites. So all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. Going back to our math, it's like that math logic. All squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares. Same thing here with the priests and Levites. 
Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. So we got a priest going by himself. We have a Levite going by himself and a Samaritan going by himself. Could it be God calling these people to go help their fellow? And they disregarded anyways? They didn't answer that call? Who is a Samaritan? The Samaritans were seen as half-breeds. Not a nice term. But they were, um, they were, because they were half-Jew and half-Assyrian, they were despised by the Jews. The race came about after the Assyrian captivity of the northern kingdom of Israel in 721 B.C. Certain people from the nation of Israel stayed behind. They intermarried, and the Assyrians produced the Samaritans. So Jews and Samaritans did not associate. A lot of racism there. Verse 34. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. It's not like the Samaritans carrying around medical supplies. It doesn't say he was a doctor, right? Thank you, Kimberly. He probably ripped up his own clothes to take care of this man. He also put him on his donkey, which means now the Samaritan's walking through this treacherous road. Right? Remember, this is 18 miles uphill both ways. Right? He's going to mess up his new shoes, his Jordan negative 200s. The Samaritan had an agenda. He had a mission. And this mission was he was going to be on the road, just like the priest and the Levite, and he was interrupted. He was interrupted from his daily task, whatever he was doing, his journey. He was interrupted with seeing this guy and needing help, and he answered that call. It's not like he could pull out his iStone 11S and dial 911 to get some help. He took it upon himself to help this guy, right? He answered the call. Verse 35. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. The Samaritan went above and beyond for this man. He used his own resources to make sure this stranger, this stranger who we say is our neighbor, would live. He opened a tab with the innkeeper, but it didn't stop there. Jesus is showing us that when we are a neighbor, we are giving our time because the Samaritan had plans that day. Then he stopped in order to take care of this guy. Giving of our physical selves because he put the victim on his donkey to be comfortable while he walked all those miles uphill. And giving of our monetary selves as you see the Samaritan not just pay for the guy today, but to open a tab and extend his spending to cover the whole entire healing process. Verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Again, Jesus poses an answer with a question. After illustrating a great example of being a neighbor, what do you think, expert? Verse 37. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. All right, so we've heard the story three times now. Let's get to the points. We'll wrap it up, call it a day. First point, who is my neighbor? Jesus turns the question around. You are called to be the neighbor. The expert of the law couldn't even say the word Samaritan when Jesus asked him at the end, who had favor, who, who showed this guy love, right? He couldn't even answer him saying Samaritan as if he'd become unclean for speaking that word. Even now, he's still lacking the thing that he answered Jesus earlier, love. His Jewish neighbors, the priest and Levite, neighbors by creed, 
ethnicity, didn't show love for this man, who we can also assume is a Jew. In speaking to a crowd full of Jews, if Jesus says a man without specification, the crowd will assume it's a man like them, a Jew. However, the Samaritan was a neighbor, even though he was a different creed and ethnicity. Jesus, in labeling these men, showed the expert in the law that he is identifying who is a neighbor and then applying his love only to them. No, he's a neighbor to all. The expert was to consider himself the victim, and as the victim, ask himself, who in the story would I consider to be my neighbor? To the expert in the law, this wounded man was a subject to discuss. To the robbers, this wounded man was someone to use and to exploit. To the religious man, the the wounded man was a problem to be avoided. To the innkeeper, the wounded man was a customer to serve for a fee. To the Samaritan, the wounded man was a human being worth being cared for and loved. And to Jesus, all of them and all of us are worth dying for. Got that little excerpt from my application Bible. Just want to share that with you guys. thought that was interesting. Second point, how do I be a neighbor? Jesus in his parable defines a neighbor using the logic of definition and negation. He did this because people in the audience could identify with the priest and the, and the Levite, and they would judge the Samaritan as less than. And if this guy he is answering knows the law, he's an expert, expert of the law, then he chose these characters carefully because he knew that neither the priest nor the Levite would touch this corpse. Remember, when we are a neighbor, we are giving our time, our physical selves, and our monetary selves. When I think about what it means to be a neighbor, I hear the song, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Mr. Rogers. Yep. Anybody else here thinking of Mr. Rogers? Maybe after someone called it out. All right, I see you in the back, Justin. Thank you. And Fred Rogers, he, uh, he said some profound things about being a neighbor. When asked about the iconic song meant, he said, it's an invitation. Won't you be my neighbor? It's an invitation for someone to be close to you. I think everybody longs to be loved and longs that he or she is lovable. And subsequently, all we can do is to help someone to know that they are loved and capable of loving. Isn't that what being a neighbor is? How do I be a neighbor? Help someone know that they are loved and they are capable of loving. When Mr. Rogers was interviewed after the 9-11 attacks, he explained more about being a neighbor. No matter what our particular job is, especially in our world today, we are all called to be the ticking alum, which is the repairers of creation. Again, repairing people is helping them know they are loved and capable of loving. Last point here, third point. When you get the call, how will you answer? You can, call, you can get the call at the priest, but he had some legitimate things to do. Can you imagine being seven days late to work after you touch a dead guy on the road to go purify yourself? Or as a Levite, that's gross. It's below me. I have to get purified by the priest if I touch this guy. It's going to be more of an inconvenience. Monetary burden or a physical strain. And he didn't really want to. Or you can answer like the Samaritan. He was giving of his whole self. 
fully in service of his neighbor, without that thought of inconvenience, the physicalness, or even putting out the money to help this guy. It's as easy to think of this as small tasks like paying for the coffee for the guy behind you or on the toll bridge, some random act of kindness. But there's nothing random about the Good Samaritan. He didn't go, well, it's a neighborly day in the beauty hood. Let me go find someone that I need to be nice to. No. As he was going about his business on this road, he stumbled upon this guy that needed help. There's nothing romantic or glorified about seeing a half-dead naked guy laying in the middle of the road, and you have to scoop him up. It's not convenient, and nobody wants to do it. It doesn't make for a cute story. You know what else nobody likes to do? Move. Moving is not that great. Kayla and I, we had to move out of our two-story forever home because of her nerve disorder, which makes it difficult for her to move her body and function without pain. And stairs, stairs are a problem. So we had to move, and while we had to move, I was out of town for work. Kayla was incapable of packing up the rest of the house, um, also not only dealing with just our two boys at the time, one to be a two-year-old and a four-year-old, that makes it more difficult, and her nerve disorder. So when the ladies in the church, through Faith in Motion, Faith in Motion was like a workout group that they had back in the day, They decided not to have that workout session that day, but instead come to our house and pack everything up. When I say decided, I don't mean they offered politely or asked permission. Oh, hey, should we come over and help you out? Hey, do you need some help packing those boxes? No, they decided and they showed up and they worked tirelessly until it was done. The Samaritan didn't stop and ask the victim, hey, is it okay if I help you out? So we need to be willing and ready to do the dirty work when that's what he calls us to do. I'm going to leave you with one more wonderful quote from Fred Rogers. Love is at the root of everything. All learning, all parenting, all relationships. Love or the lack of it. The only thing that really changes the world is that when somebody gets the idea that love can abound and be shared. Thank you for whatever you do and wherever you are to bring joy, light, hope, Faith, pardon, love to your neighbor and yourself. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for your message today, for your words, and for helping me prepare this message. I ask, Lord, that when we are called, that we answer you 100% to give of whatever that person needs. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.